Episode 9, Artist Nancy Baker Cahill. My name is Michael Delgado and I'm your host. You're listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. I come to you each week from the fantastic library bar in the spectacular historic Mayfair Hotel right here in downtown L.A. Today, I'm meeting artist Nancy Baker Cahill. Cahill has been on a tear recently. Her years of being primarily focused on drawing seems to have blossomed in her new work in augmented reality apps. She's here to talk about her pieces in this year's Desert X, the curated exhibition of art installations in the Coachella Valley outside Palm Springs, California, where those hot, dry Santa Anas come down through the mountain passes and curl your hair and make your nerves jump and your skin itch. Cahill enters the beautiful Art Deco lobby, backlit from the L.A. sun pouring in the glass front doors of the hotel. She's tall, thin, wears her long hair up, loosely. She spots me hunched over the bar and strides over. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed it. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. Oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome, Nancy Baker Cahill. Thank you so much for having me. Have you been? In, you haven't been in the hotel. You were saying no, but I'm definitely coming back. It's amazing looking. I know, and the the uh, the fireplace isn't going. I thought it would be going today because she has a really nice fireplace over there. Oh, right? it's so cool. Yeah, it's nice. Um, did you get over to freeze this weekend? I did not. You know, thank God. I am so like I, I, I'm. It, I OD'd. I OD'd on art this weekend. Yeah, I was afraid that might happen, so... A lot, a lot, a lot. I saw, uh, you know, it didn't help that I started with the premiere of Paul McCarthy's film. Oh, did you, did you I say, I went I, to oh, both of those. to that and then I couldn't go. What'd yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah, there are things that I cannot unsee. Mm. I am I am a, I'm a huge McCarthy fan. Okay. I really like him. I had Elise Poppers, who was uh, in his previous films. She was the Natalie Wood character in, oh. in Rebel and Rebel Devil Babble. She was just on last week. And uh, so we went together uh, with her husband and her friends. And uh, <laughs> so it was, you know... McCarthy films are excruciating anyway, and these are, it was two back-to-back 
90 minutes. Ooh. It was it's a commitment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hadn't tried that since, like, Matthew Barney's Cremaster oh, or whatever. And, it, and it, so, anyway, McCarthy, as I've written before, I tried to, I tried to write a review today, actually, for the blog. And uh, I just I didn't want to remember seeing it again. I mean, they're like, they're basically snuff films. They're porn snuff Hello. Yeah. My guest today is with artist the Nancy Baker Cave, a multidisciplinary Carol. artist and founder of so, The Fourth Wall, uh, a free yeah, augmented reality AR app, which invites users to place art in 360 degrees. Yeah. Anywhere rough, in the world. Really, really rough. I she really created the go. ongoing yeah, collaborative AR public art and, exhibition and, and, and coordinates, site-specific activations of artworks <laughs> created by so contemporary the, the artists, film working topically. Like and recently gave a TED talk like on the John use of her app to initiate social and environmental change. She has been written about so extensively and has been profiled in numerous magazines and papers, including Forbes, Art News, Fast Company, ZDNet. The and LA Times the and the Boston Globe, is, uh, among the, many others. The guys from the Ponderosa, the you know oh Ben Cartwright, the Cartwright family, okay. walking into the saloon with the same characters who have. Anyway, they, the saloon turns is it, just unbelievable. That's where the snuff comes in. There's people that get killed. Spoiler alert. And um, so anyway, I talked to Paul and them. Yeah, and I said, you know. I warned them not to go into that saloon. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't listen. <laughs> no. And, and his response, which I think is telling, that's why I say it, is uh, he said, we've been living in that saloon all our lives. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But do we need to go back to the saloon since we're already uh, in exactly. it? Exactly. It was, it was really, really brutal. Uh, and so that was my start to freeze. <laughs> And then, and then, oh, well, I saw uh, Liz Larner. Do you know Liz? I know of her. Yeah, she's gotten big. And um, we used to, um, I knew her from high school, actually. And she was at USC when I was there. Awesome. And uh, so it was nice to see her. She was, uh, she spoke with uh, Ari, Ariana Raines, a poet. It was very articulate. And it was, that was great. Um, and then, you know, the whole thing. The reason I bring it up is because your work is kind of the antithesis <laughs> to what I refer to as the freeze thing being sort of the, uh, uh, I, I call it the art museo industrial complex. Yes, well said. <laughs> well said. Yes, that might be why I was somewhat allergic to it. You didn't go. Yeah. Right. And so I want to talk about Desert X, which okay. I think is a good segue part, but... Um, Maybe if you could, um, I watched your TEDx thing again today, which was wonderful. Thank you. And I think as a counterpoint to uh, the freeze thing, if you could maybe summarize the TEDx part, um, and where, I mean, it'll be up on aggeiger.com, but where else can they spot that? I think if you just Google, well, it's on my website too. Oh, okay. Which and um, Nancy Baker, well, I have two websites. One is nancybakerkahill.com and the other is fourthwallapp.org. Yes, I love the fourth app. <laughs> we will talk about that. Okay. And um, there's also a great, the Bloomberg also did a document, a short documentary, which is also sort of takes what I talked about in TED and then and sort of extrapolates to what we're doing with coordin- the Coordinates Public Art Project. And the one of the um, exhibitions I co-curated with Deborah Scacco, 
who's an amazing artist and, and also that's a curator. On, but that we can find that through your website. Yes, too. all findable I'll through get, the website. Yeah. yeah, and I'll get links too. Oh, we'll put that. Okay, there. awesome. All right. So, uh, so if you might uh, summarize that, because I think it's a great, like you know, it covered how you got to, you know, how you started with your work and what you were, uh, you know. Um, how you actually approached art making early on and then where you are now. So if you might want to summarize that, then I think we can talk about Desert X. Okay, well, um, yeah, the TEDx was really about, um, I mean, the, I forget what the <laughs> the official title was. It's, it's a bit of a blur now. But I think it, it was, it's really about using drawing and augmented reality as a, as a tool of access. And it sort of charted my original, when I started off working as a studio artist, you know, kind of being haunted by this idea of the singular genius working in isolation and sort of white man, you know, right. uh, genius. And coming to understand through a very organic development of a social practice that actually collaboration was what was most sort of creatively fulfilling and kind of got my, my pulse racing a little bit. And when I started to work in first virtual reality um, as a natural sort of conception came out of a very sort of natural conceptual exigency of the of the work which was I wanted to put people inside of the drawings I wanted them to to feel all of my work is really about hoping to prompt an empathic response in the viewer whether it's on paper or VR AR whatever and that 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 led me inexorably to um, understanding that VR while wonderful and an extraordinary experience is very singular and I really wanted to share that experience with a much broader audience. And augmented reality allowed me to do so. And uh, it's just a much more naturally sort of democratic medium because the way we experience it right now, at least, most people can't afford fancy mixed reality glasses, but we right. most, but a lot of people have smartphones and oh, tablets. Right. Not everybody has a smartphone, but I would say a majority of people do. And that's one way to sort of deliver content and to use the tech really subversively and unapologetically to ask questions, um, prompt some kind of thoughtful discourse, and really share, not only share the work that I've created, but also invite people to participate in it. But location-based, right? The, that's the later iteration is, is location-based. Oh. So originally, I sort of offered my, my VR drawings translated into AR to an unknown and unseen audience and invited them to quote-unquote, place them in the context of their choosing. And in doing so, they created incredible content, whether it was political in nature or humorous or even banal. And that sort of exists as a living archive, actually, on the Fourth Wall App Instagram page because, you know, people would just, all over the world, they did Which this. Which we can find where? On Instagram. It's Under at Fourth, Fourth Wall App. And it's four with a four, not F-O-U-R. And um, 4-T-H. <clears throat> And then, but then, you know, and that was amazing. And then I was talking with my creative and develop, uh, technical partners and we were talking about what's next for the app. And we talked, and at the time, geolocation was this new opportunity. Now, of course, there are beacons and we can get really, really um, precise now. But for right now, for me anyway, geolocation is still where I'm operating. And I thought, wow, if I could place these artworks anywhere in the world what about inviting other artists who are working really rigorously and topically 
to choose a site that's meaningful to them, that's outside of any institution, outside of any gallery, any sort of um, anointed space. Like Freeze. <laughs> like Freeze. <laughs> and, and really turn the, the globe into a kind of opportunity for public art and but really provocative public art. So I really right. saw it originally as a tool of resistance, and I still do, hmm. um, to, to, to isolate these contested sites. Or not contested, they don't have to be contested, they could just be whatever it means. Sense of community somewhere. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's a collaborative process, so it's really an invitation to the artist. The artist responds, the artist decides where they want it, they give me a work of art, I translate it into AR, and we place it, we geolocate it there where it lives. Right. Um, you can't see it with the naked eye. You need the, the camera as a kind of prosthesis, like a visual prosthesis, but you can see it with the, with the camera. But you have to be in the space, which is nice. So it demands, like, yeah. exactly, it demands that you go to the space. And so it demands that you consider sight as a crucial part of the experience versus going to an antiseptic space right. and thinking about things. You know, you, it, it really, um, it, it, it genuinely activates the sight. I would say. Yeah, it brings me to mind of earthworks. <laughs> and I have a funny story. I mean, because they're location-based and they deal with the landscape, which you're doing in Desert X. Um, on, on a cross-country trip with my children, they were probably, I don't know, 10 and 11. And uh, we went through Las Vegas because we we're going back east. And I'm like, oh, well, we're going to go see the double, double... That drawing is exactly how I feel, and I thought, what if I could, what if I could make amplify that even further and put her into the drawing? What would that feel like? And a and a colleague said to me, well, why don't, and I and I tried all kinds of experimenting. You know, I started making things sort of more three D, and I started doing all this stuff with lucite, and it just it it was like close but no cigar. And this and this colleague of mine said, you know, why don't you try VR? And I tried it. I, I just went and tried it once, just the experience of VR. Mm. And it was like, I've described this before, but it was like falling in love. I literally mm. was like, oh my God, of course this is what I need to do. This is the exact, this is sort of the ultimate expression. This will allow me to express what I want to express in the, in the most um, sensorially rich, right. complete way. The green fee is kind of high for that, though. I mean, you got to put the goggles on. That's the problem. You got to be wired up. Exactly. It's got to monitor you. It, yeah, it's not without its challenges, and again, it's very singular, and it's again not something you can easily share. It's not something you can easily show. You know, when you exhibit it, yeah. you have to wait yeah. in line. It's a whole thing. Not to take away from the experience. The experience is more, in my mind, like poetry. It's very, it's very special, and it's. And it's, um, well, poetry is a little more democratic too, because you don't, yeah, poetry is yeah. not, but I mean like in terms of an artistic experience, but augmented reality does, is the, provides the opposite experience. So you can still have a 360 experience, you can still have that kind of dimensional, dimensional, dimensionality, and you can have sound, you can't have haptics yet, but you can, you can integrate these other elements and still have a profound experience, it's just that it's mixed with your actual as they say, IRL. So is the, uh, the the tech part of it I'm interested in because I did some augmented reality things for commercial purposes. We, I was the uh, creative director at an ad agency and we did a, um, uh, a thing for Bud Light. 
Or actually, no, for it was Michelob Golden Did Light. a naked woman jump out of the bottle? No, that would have been good. No, no. <laughs> that probably would have sold better. No. They're, though they would, uh, you would hold the phone up and, and try to do, their thing was the perfect pour. That was their tagline. So there was a, a, a contest where you would move your phone to like actually make the beer pour into the glass. It was kind of silly. And then, um, and this is a, this is several years. It was a long time ago, actually, maybe eight years ago. Wow! It was really new at the time, and it was. I bring it up because I, you know I was watching the guys putting it together, and there was you know, there was technology in the service of some kind of create creativity, mm-hmm. and creativity was seriously taking a back seat. Oh yeah. Because there was you know, because you have product so to sell. So many limitations, and there was product to sell. Yeah. But for you, now it seems like the technology is much more seamless and you can actually, it's much more democratic in that I can get it on my phone, you can get it on my phone. Mm-hmm. And so, um, how did you come about the Desert X project in that regard? So you've got like the technology, you've got it well in hand, right? right? And so now you're ready and how did you get invited or did well you, did you I had it there I had a studio visit with someone who who was connected to Desert X and thought it would be a good match because we talked a lot about public art and the and, and about access again back to this idea of of the work being accessible which is so important and crucial to me and um, I had already translated the VR drawings with my partners into AR and had, had had some success with the app in terms of people enjoy, like, the thing that's, this is also very unfreeze, this word, the word is fun. People were having, like, a lot of fun with it, and, and really, you know, triggering their own creativity, which was so thrilling to me, and um, kind of electrifying on some level, and so, but I also thought, well, this Desert X is this amazing opportunity to marry the interest in site specificity, a kind of political angle, which is the environment, and and then this then this technology and the and the joy of creating a piece in 360, which I I mean drawing is the foundation of my practice, and so you know I've also developed all my own brush strokes, and so you know I was able to be inspired by each site when I chose both of those sites very very carefully and intentionally as a kind of call and response, and they sort of bracket the mm. the exhibition. One is in Palm Springs, one is at the Salton Sea, and I was really moved by both sites independently and then develop the drawings based on what inspired me about those specific sites. And actually I should say, for the record, <clears throat> one of my sites was drowned out by biblical floods. So it is being relocated. That is a piece called Revolutions and I'm actually oh. relocating it tomorrow to a different part of, of the wind farm where, where it will not be flooded out. Oh. Well, how long is the Desert X thing up? Because I want to go. Oh, I think it's up through April 21st. Oh, if well, that's starts. the worst thing for me because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, April. I You'll go like April 20th. April, April, April. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. We should say it's like over this weekend. Then I would go. No, um, no I'm glad no, you I didn't go. Def- I will definitely yeah. make it. No, it, if you'd gone this weekend, a lot of sites were closed because of the rains. And uh. it was weirdly fitting because here we have this... We're in a cataclysmic moment. And one of the things that was really inspiring to me was this book. You like Chandler. I like these, uh, you know, uh, obscure philosophers. 
I don't know if he's that obscure, actually. It's probably an insult Chandler's that I said quite that. quite the philosopher. Well, I know. I'm not saying he was a philosopher. This guy, no, okay, the person I'm talking about, he's, a, he's an ecologist and a philosopher. He's, he's no fun, narratively. But he's, um, he's very cranky about things. But he wrote an incredible book called Hyperobjects, and that was very inspiring to me. And I think that, that it's called Hyperobjects, and it's something like ecology at the end of the world. And his whole argument is like, forget about anticipating the end of the world. We're already at the end of the world. So how do we, how do we deal with it? And a hyperobject is basically um, a system or uh, an object loosely defined that is so big that it is acting on us at all times and we are con either contributing to it or we don't understand how it's acting on us, but we can't conceive of it because of its size. Hmm. So uh, it's inconceivable. So climate change is a type of hyperobject. Right. And um, so it seemed fitting that we had these biblical floods, you know, that, that affected the art because... You know, it's um, out of your control. It's out of our control. Everything is changing, and it's changing really rapidly now. And so, it it while it it inconvenienced a lot of people, and it's bummer to me that my art was down for a few days. It it underscores the situation we're in and the the urgent the urgent moment we're in. Right, 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 right. Okay, so are you originally from here? Oh no, I am a masshole. Massachusetts, I'm assuming. Yes. <laughs> the one and only. Really? Mm -hmm. So from, you don't have a Boston accent. Yeah, I'm from Boston. Are you? I can do a Boston accent if you ask me to. Well, but how yeah. long ago did you move here? 23 years ago. Oh, well, that's why there's no accent. Yeah, there wasn't really an accent before, but I have a fine appreciation for it, and I love a Boston accent, and if I meet someone with a Boston accent, I just... Cozy Just, right up. Right, yeah, move yeah. right in. <laughs> so, um, how did you end up here then? Well, um, I was recently married, and my husband was um, a TV writer and an aspiring at the time, aspiring TV writer, and this was the this was the place. Right. So yeah. we like well, or like, New York. I mean, nah, like, New York. Uh, not so much. Nah, you can't really live in even back in the '90s. Like you couldn't live in New York, but we packed up a truck like. A couple of Okies and drove across the... <laughs> or Bostonians. <that's laughs> two mass holes, drove across the country. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so actually when I first came to L.A., that was like... I literally drove into L.A. on the 10, and that was my first glimpse of L.A. ever. It was just moving here. Wow. Yeah, it was a bit of culture shock for a minute. But now it's like, maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome, but I love it. <laughs> I, you got to drag me Stockholm out feet, feet, feet first. <laughs> And what do you think attracts you to it? I mean, why is that? To L.A.? Oh, man. It's, um, oh, there's so much about it that attracts me. I mean, it's really antithetical to how I... By, by the way, excuse me, if you hear the snuffling in the background, <laughs> that is Marlo the shop dog. She's on my lap, and she's very close to the microphone. So if you hear her going, that's what that is. It is not Nancy. <laughs> Thank you for yeah, thank you for clearing my good name. Yeah. <laughs> thank you no, for saving my reputation. It could, well, it could be endearing, <laughs> or it could be incredibly repellent, <laughs> terrifying. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, uh, California was forbidden fruit for me. Bostonians traditionally are not. I shouldn't say Bostonians. I was raised to uh, feel to be suspicious of the West, and it's a very it can be a provincial. Boston is extraordinary in many ways. It's also very f 
fraught city. It has a obviously a very complicated history, especially in terms of race sure. and um, corruption. But it is also it's funny because it's super liberal, generally liberal politically. But there's a kind of conservatism there, and as it is an, one of the older cities and on the East Coast, it just has different sort of mores. And I was, I was glad to leave those behind and come out here. And uh, Marlowe agrees. Yeah, and uh, California, it's just such a radically different culture. And so one that I was eager to embrace huh. for all of its kind of, some of it's a cliche, but I really find that people here are generally less concerned with you know, issues of pedigree or education. They're really just interested in what you're doing and if that's mm. interesting and, and how you, what you're doing in the world, are you doing something meaningful? That seems right. to be the criteria versus any of these other, any of these other metrics, so. Yeah, well, I don't know anything else, so I would. I so maybe you don't know that because you haven't, <laughs> but also I like that, I like that it's sort of unapologetically itself and it doesn't, it's not trying Maybe I'm making too many generalizations. It's really hard to sum up a city in one, yeah. in, in any meaningful yeah, way. But I think I just love how I love its diversity. I love the richness of its cultures. I just I, I, there's really well, and it's monster compared to Boston. It's I a mean, monster, a, a beautiful, beautiful monster. city. Yeah, I love it, but uh, it's small. Yeah, yeah, very tiny, and it's very collegiate. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so. and it's a little provincial. But that said, it also it has probably per square foot more brain power than, I mean, with MIT, oh, yeah. I mean, with all those, I mean, it is, it's an extraordinary place, too. I love Boston. I always will, but it's, but I'm glad to be here. Right. And so, how, when did you decide to make art or be an artist? I've been Other an artist. to be, like, the genius that you aspire to be, and you are. No, no, no. That's that's really way too generous, okay? <laughs> I, I've i always been an artist. I majored in art, um, and I had every intention of being an artist when I moved out here. But to be honest, I was so young, and I got out here, and I was so off, thrown off my game. I mean, I when I say culture shock, I mean, for a Boston girl, I was really thrown off my game. And I had a bunch of creative fits and stars. So how long ago? This is in the 90s. 90, we got here in 96, I think. Mm. Yeah, January 96. And so, uh, you know, I had, I had a child and I just didn't, I tried, I tried. So you were making art in Boston, but yeah. then you moved here and were not because you had... Yeah, I was right. just I was just trying to sort of adjust and I was finding my way. I was so young. I was 25. I mean, I didn't know what my ass for my elbow. And then I had children and it was when my third child was born that I was like, "Oh my god, I think if I don't do this, something bad's going to happen." So I knew it there was an urgency to, to getting back to it because I had I had tried I just couldn't find my footing basically. And um but the minute I started drawing again, um, and I guess this was in like 2006, it was like a floodgate opened and it's been this sort of <laughs> torrent ever since. I, I, I think by not making work for as long as I did, um, and I was busy living and I was busy dealing with all kinds of things, um, some of which were really, really challenging and all of which inform the work now. Um, I, I'm so 
So how long was the hiatus then, you're saying? So you, you know. It was long. I mean, I want to say well over a decade. So I didn't make work for well over a decade. Or I made, I made terrible work occasionally, but I didn't have a practice per right. se. Right, right, right. And so when I finally decided to do it, I mean, I really jumped, I dove in. I was going to say feet first, but that's the opposite of diving. So... I, that is how actually, actually I did it. I dove with my feet first, <laughs> so, which is how I ended up where I am. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's my that's story. Cool. And so you now have a studio here. Yeah, right? in Atwater. Oh, in Atwater? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was downtown. No, I'm in the ATX building. Ah, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's on Casitas. No, and my mom was born, you know where the Tam O'Shannon is? Of course. Yeah, so on that street. Oh, amazing. Like, you know, a block from Tension. Oh, my God. So do you go there to swell? <laughs> yeah, I have a yard now and again. <laughs> I love the Griffin, which is across the street from it. Right, yeah. But the Proud Boys came there. I don't, oh, no, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the MAGA people or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Just like your neighborhood white nationalist faction. Yeah. Oh, so you disgusting. were there? That no, but we did a coordinates piece during an, an anonymous, I will say, an anonymous coordinates piece where we placed an AR drawing of Putin as a puppeteer over one of the MAGA, ra- the, that famous Houston MAGA rally where he said, oh. basically, I'm going to say the word nationalism. It's not a bad word. Right, right, right. And I have it on video. It's, on the, it's actually on the Instagram. So, so what are you doing now? Um, I have a couple of projects uh, on the horizon that are also large scale um, public art. Uh, in augmented reality, I am really looking forward, I hope, to um, working on a new body of work. I have two new bodies of work I want to start, so I'm hoping that as things sort of settle down, I'll be able to do that. Um, but also AR? No, actually, well, one is, one is quote-unquote analog, one is just cave painting, graphite on, <laughs> on paper, and another one is, is yeah, is, is digital. Um, but I'm also really hoping to start making a few inroads in terms of integrating some haptics and sound. Sound design has always been a huge part of my practice too. And my great beloved sound collaborator, who was also my cousin, unfortunately just recently passed away. And so I'm um, actively looking right now for a collaborator who can somehow match his um, extraordinary blend of... Um, kind of child, childlike glee and fearlessness and um, fearlessness about doing anything that was unorthodox. So I need to, I'm looking for, for that person right now. And then, cause I have a lot of sound I want to make. So hmm. um, that's up with the sound part. The, the well, the sound is integrated into the VR pieces, but I've also oh. done a, and some AR with sound too. Oh, okay. So it, it's, um, I don't know if you've ever done sound design. It's, like I've never done sound design. I would, well, you know, I used to be in TV production myself. So, so yeah, if you worked yeah. with a sound editor, actually, he was a TV sound editor. That was his day job. Right. But yeah. then we would just like go to the studio and pull out the all the equipment and just make utter mayhem. Um, but it's you know it's infinite. It, like, you can do well, there's a lot of unemployed Foley people right now. Oh well, maybe I should look them up. I I really, <laughs> you know, it it's. It is, it's, it's infinite what you can do with sound. Yeah. And it's like magic to me. So, um, I mean, so you want to create like an, an immersive environment where there's sound. Right? Yep. Yep. And I forget the name of the 
Venice artist from way back, Eric something, that was the big sound artist. You have a, like an encyclopedic like knowledge of well, artists. Well, not really. It's kind I of amazing. Can't remember his name. Well, that's the opportunity of VR again is like, you know, I also want to do some, I want to see what I can do with haptics too. But that I would say is a very specific, again, limited project. Whereas what I'm really most interested in are are these larger public art experiences because they're just more accessible. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. So, so, um, as a vehicle for community and for, uh, activism Mm -hmm. so is there an extension of what you're doing where um, other than you just say it like hey here's this app check it out you can do this and make your mark or are you organizing well I mean organizing not around um, one of the things I'd like to do is be a little more one of the things that the the app and the, the setup that I have right now is that we can be really nimble. For example, if there's a MAGA rally, we can do something with it. We can do it in real time and do it quickly, but I always need collaborators to help with that because of the nature of geolocation. But, you know, Deborah Skako and I co-curated this show, Defining Line, along the LA River and engaged extraordinary artists um, to, and they all chose, they either chose sites or we helped them choose sites with works that related to issues of gentrification, immigration, environment. Um, I love that, by the way. It's a, I, you know, the store is in Chinatown, and I walked Marlo, who is breathing heavily on the microphone. <laughs> oh, sorry, her breath is horrible. <laughs> um, and th- so I get to enjoy that regularly. I, I you know, in the historic park. That's awesome. Did you see Nova's piece? And the, the, and the Tongva. Yeah, yeah. The we have two pieces right around there. That Nova's piece and then the wonderful piece by Julia Bogany and her granddaughter, or great-granddaughter, I think. Um, maybe it's her granddaughter. Anyway, um, yeah, that was really exciting for us. And then we're working right now with uh, a couple of people, a curator and um, two curators in Europe. And we're working with all immigrant artists. And um, that should be coming up soon. I've been in conversation with other um, curators about doing something in Mexico City and in Latin America. So I'm hoping to expand it that way. I'm not a curator. So not only do I not have time to curate, I don't have the vision for it, but I do want to facilitate it. And I do want to make this available to people who have a vision for a show or an exhibition that is, or whether it just engages certain artists or it's site specific to, to take advantage of that through the coordinates project. Yeah. So the app, who owns the app? I do. Yeah, so you have the technology behind it, so you could say like, so you could license me to like go do a show. Yeah, I mean, if I could, I wouldn't even. Yeah, I could basically say, what do you want to do? Who do you want to do it with? I mean, there is a, there is some curatorial oversight. I mean, I want to be sure that everyone I'm working with is, and this isn't about you. But I'm just saying in general, I want to make sure that everyone is. I mean, it's not my own like personal tyranny, but I'm obviously going to work with people who are interested in in being activists and in using right. it as a tool of resistance versus for some decorative purpose or for right. commercial purposes you know it, its purpose is actually to be provocative so do you license the technology or no how does it work you just no we i have a wonderful studio manager and she helps out with it we're like a two-man band mm-hmm. right now and well a two-man band that's operating 
the back end of the app. But I also have my team that I work with at Drive Studios who are so did the you real geniuses. The code? No, 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 no. I wish I had. Um, I actually tried to learn coding recently because I wanted to. I think I've missed my calling. I think I really. Hack your own thing. Right? No, I actually want to be a hacker. Like that's my life's goal, and I will never make it because. It is so left brain and it's never going to happen. But I, I long to hack. Like, if I weren't an artist, I would definitely be a hacker. And, like, nothing excites me more than that. But, um, my, but no, I have a wonderful team of people that help with that. So, I, I get to, I get the, to do all the fun creative stuff. Right. Yeah, you gotta, like, make it blue in the corner here mm-hmm. and you do. Yeah, that's good. They're amazing. That was a Warhol reference, by the way. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you have an encyclopedic knowledge. Uh, it's a curse. It's dizzying. It's a curse. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. And we find you at nancybakercahill.com? Yep, dot com and fourthwallapp.org. All right. Yeah, or, you know, really, truly, I hate to say this, but Instagram is the best. Okay. Nancy and, Baker and Cahill. And handle is? Handle is at Nancy Baker Cahill and or at and Fourth Wall App. Cahill spelled? C-A-H-I-L-L. Very good. Well, you know. No, uh, people are always like Khalil, Khalil yeah, 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 chill, like nobody ever gets it right. So thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. You've been listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the historic Mayfair Hotel and music and artist management company Regime 72. Please check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, A.G. Geiger.com. Thanks for listening.